In just a moment, I'm going to be reading a passage from the prophet Isaiah, the 65th chapter, as we launch a new sermon series this morning. Before we uh, read that, I'd like for us to bow together for a time of prayer. Could we just pray and uh, be silent in God's presence for a few moments as we reflect on God's goodness and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ? Then I'll lead us in prayer. Our loving and eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we read in the Psalms that you are the God who does what He says. You defend those who are wronged. You care for widows and orphans, the prisoners and immigrants and strangers, those who are crushed under life's load. So today we pray that you would care for your world and through us care for your world, that we might learn to have your heart for the marginalized and for those who are cast aside. We pray that you will help us to become more of the individuals and the church you've called us to be and less of what we've been. And we acknowledge before you that we don't have what it takes. We place all of our hope in you and we trust your Holy Spirit to fill us with power and new want-tos, new, new motivation to become your people. We pray today for your world that's still filled with violence and pain and injustice. We pray today for our state legislature as they have begun session, for our new governor, for our incoming president, for the national legislature, for all of our local leaders, for all of our schools. We pray today for caregivers who are investing so much energy in caring for loved ones and caring for others. And we pray today for the grieving and for the ill and for the depressed and for the lonely. We ask God that you tune our lives in such a way that we can be aware of the struggles around us and put feet to our prayers. Guide our hearts with understanding, open scriptures to us, that the mystery and depth of your love might become more clear to us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to read from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. And I invite you to stand if you're able, as God's word is spoken and comes among us. For I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall be remembered shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. 
for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, after the holiday break, which was wonderful, we return to a sermon series. We return to our emphasis on setting sail. Uh, Setting sail is a process of discovering God's dream for First Baptist Church and then putting our deeds to God's dreams. And you remember the image that we're using of a ship that is sailing with five sails and those sails are driven by the wind of God's Spirit leading our congregation. Each sail represents a bold dream that we believe God is calling us toward. And I want to list for you now those five bold dreams uh, and, and remind you where we've been and where we're going. God-centered worship, we love God. Life-changing faith, we follow Christ. Authentic relationships, we love others. Community transformation, that's where we're going to settle the next few weeks. We help others. And then finally, global partners, we share Christ. Now, we have been through a sermon series on each of the first three. Uh, and this morning, we launch a sermon series On the fourth one, Community Transformation, We Help Others. And the sermon series is simply entitled, The Church Without Walls. The image that the walls should not keep us in, nor should they keep people out. And we're going to be thinking together about that entire process. Here's the unfortunate truth. The unfortunate truth is that several generations ago, the church fell asleep. I don't mean just this church, I mean capital C, the church fell asleep. And when the church fell asleep, when we woke up, we had become disconnected from two important groups. Without intending to, we found ourselves disconnected from younger generations, and we found ourselves disconnected from our own local communities. Now that's tragic and unfortunate, but it's also ironic Because those two forgotten and disconnected groups have something in common. All of the research and all of the experience shows us that millennials and young adults and young people really are passionate about community involvement. They really are passionate about engaging in hands-on ministry. They really care about social justice. Even if they don't give a rip about Bible doctrine, they care about the world being made better in their locale where they are and where they live. So that uh, it becomes very important to us to find a way to reconnect. A pastor friend of mine uh, talked about the fact that the young people that he's encountered uh, in a major city in our, in our nation uh, have have made it clear they're tired of hearing Christians say, we'll pray about it, and then nothing happening. They are ready to pray about it, and then roll up their sleeves and do something action-oriented. And that's where we're going with this sermon series. Now, with that as a basis, I have a couple of questions to ask us. 
Here's the first question. Do we really know our own local community? Now, before you answer too quickly, think about it. Do you really know your own community? I don't mean the path that you always drive to work or school or the place where you get gasoline for your automobile or do your banking or shopping or a friend's house or church. I don't mean the the well-worn paths that you always... Do you really know your community? How many in this room today have been east of the church on Capitol Avenue in the last 10 years? How many have been uh, aware of the huge drug problem in this community? How many are aware of the simmering racial issues just below the surface within our community? How many are aware of hunger and poverty in our community? And on and on I could go with those questions. An interesting response by by an elementary student uh, that's kind of light on the screen because it was written by pencil, the actual words of an elementary student, I wish my teacher knew that my dad works two jobs and I don't see him much. I think every educator in this room and probably some families could relate to that. How much are we aware of the pressures and the struggles within our own community? We think we know, but do we really know? Here's the second question. How much do we really love our community? Before you answer too quickly, do we love our community the way Christ loves Jefferson City and Cole County and the surrounding area? Do we really, really love our community? You see, with Christmas just past, it should be very much clear in our minds that the incarnation, God becoming flesh, was supremely significant. The fact that God came in a person and lived in this smelly, awful, imperfect world must mean that God likes this world and God likes people and that God cares. The incarnation means that this world matters too. That the gospel is not just about escaping this world and going to heaven when I die. The gospel is about God's passion for this world too. The incarnation means that there's a blurry line between the world to come and the world that is now. It's an intended semi-permeable boundary between the next world and this world. And God intends for his church to understand that so that the walls come down. And that means that the church is done with preaching a gospel that's only about the next world. That the church is done with building programs and saying to the community, you all come. The church instead must go into the community. The church must serve. The church must be where people are hurting. That the walls do not keep us from connecting with the real life that's happening in our community. And you know what excites me about being pastor here? It's that I think a lot of us in this congregation get that. Because I remember those congregational conversations we had last year. 
You remember right after Sunday worship, we'd go round tables, over 300 of us sitting around tables and talking about what we like about this church, what we see in this community, what we dream God able to do. And so many of you got that, that the walls should never be a barrier, that the church should be so connected to the community. And I'm proud to say that I pastor a church that at least is beginning to grasp the reality that God is calling us to be an Isaiah 65 congregation. Maybe you've never heard it put that way. But God is calling us to be an Isaiah 65 congregation. What do I mean by that? Well, Isaiah said, God's dream for this world, God's dream for creation, is that there be a world where there are healthy babies born. Verse 20. That sounds this worldly, doesn't it? Verse 20, God dreams of a world where senior adults live long and full lives before they die. And by the way, lest you have been taught that Isaiah 65 is symbolic language about heaven, get over it. Because Isaiah 65 says old people will die after long, full lives. And in heaven and in eternity, we don't die. This is about this world. This dream of God's is that there's adequate housing, verse 21. They'll build houses and live in them. There's fulfilling labor. They won't work and then somebody else rob them of the joy and the the profit of that. There's fulfilling labor. There's a relationship with God, verse 24. They will pray, but I will be answering the prayer even before they, they voice the prayer. A rich relationship with God. And then verse 25, harmony in nature, animals that get along, and a a restoration of order and a healing of all that is broken. Now, if we haven't figured out by now that the gospel is about this world, then we need to read Isaiah 55 several more times. And... If, as a congregation, we plan on giving up on this community, just turning our heads toward heaven and eternity, if we plan on giving up on this community right here locally, then we need to change the recitation of the Lord's Prayer that we pray together after a communion service. You know that phrase that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We need to put a a parenthetical phrase on the screen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But God, we don't really mean that. God, we're just saying that. We don't really mean that we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. C.S. Lewis quote, Our problem is not that we desire too much, but that we desire too little. We no longer expect a new world. We only hope to be better adjusted to the present world. We just get comfortable. And we've stopped dreaming about a world that could be different, a community that could be healed, life that could be different than it's been. 
Several years ago, there was a great animated movie uh, that came out, Monsters, Inc., and it was right at a time when our grandchildren were uh, watching it a lot. Uh, I had all of the lines memorized at one point. Uh, And uh, the storyline of Monsters, Inc. is that monsters scare little children to to the point where they shriek and scream in terror. The energy from the shrieks and screams is harvested and it actually generates the electrical power for the city and for the world. This, this sinister plan that, that the terror of children is harvested to generate the prosperity of the world. But at the end of the movie, and I'm not worried about spoiler alert, the movie's been out for, what, 15, 17 years. At the end of the movie, there's a healing so that it's no longer the terror and the shrieks of fright from children, but it's the laughter of children that fuels, that provides the energy for the electricity. It's, it's the laughter of children that generates the energy. Isn't that what I, Isaiah's talking about? That the shrieks of terror of exploited children and helpless people transformed into something positive and beautiful in this world. Diana Butler Bass has this great quote, simple definition of justice. Justice is implementing God's dream in everyday life. It's that simple. In everyday life, in Jefferson City and in our community, we will seek to implement God's dream. And if you want to know what God's dream is, read Isaiah 65. Somebody once asked Mother Teresa, how do you do it? Working among the world's, the poorest of the world's poor, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, how do you do it? And her answer, prayer. She believed that it is not possible to give yourself to the brokenness of humanity for more than one or two years unless your life is rooted deeply in prayer and a relationship with God. That it's impossible to sustain it without that deep taproot of connection to God through prayer. And her, her simple philosophy was, we pray... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it until we finally get up off of our feet and start living our prayer. We get up off of our our backsides and we get on our feet and we walk that prayer. We live that prayer. We do the answer to our own prayers. Years ago, I heard the story of a man who was on his knees. He was just so sick and tired of all was wrong in the world. And he said, God, so much violence and killing in the world, so much poverty and hunger and war and hatred. God, can't you do something about it? And he heard a voice from heaven say, that's funny, I was just going to ask you the same thing. Can't you do something about it? God was going to ask us and is asking us the same thing. Same thing. 
Perhaps the key to all of this is found in verse 19 of the Isaiah 65 text where God pronounces that beautiful blessing on them and says, I will rejoice and delight in my people. This whole community engagement, Church Without Walls, will only happen if we understand how much God enjoys us. He loves us. Did, he know, did you know He loves you? He delights in you. He craves a relationship with you. He longs to bless you. You are special to Him. You are loved by Him. And He's made known that love by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to be raised again and to empower you and to make you whole. And He wants to live in you in such a way that He begins to plant in your heart and mine a passion for His world so that we begin to love our community the way God loves our community. Wouldn't that be rich? If we began to love this community the way God loves this community. Let's pray together. As we bow and grow quiet in God's presence, we prepare our hearts for response time. During this altar call response time, you are welcome to uh, come to the front and to present yourself for membership in this church if the Lord's leading you to officially join. Uh, You're welcome to come and pray by yourself or with one of us about a particular burden, particular need in your life, a fresh commitment you want to make. And particularly, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, never opened your heart to God's delightful love for you, God's forgiveness. But this morning, you're ready to receive Christ and you'd just like some help forming that prayer and knowing what to do. We are here at the front to help you. Loving God, be in us and all around us and be in charge of all that happens in these moments of response. Through Christ we pray. Amen.